Recording from Boulder, Colorado on February 18, 2017, it's Dr. Zen and the greatest <laughs> of all sinners. It's a podcast where two men of a great faith and even greater doubt rap with each other about current events, pop culture, sports, history, and the like. It's the events of the day as seen through the lens of eternity. It's the seven deadly sins meets the eightfold path. I'm your host, Ray Gustinelli. I'm here with the greatest of all sinners, Jeffrey Lawrence Whedon. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff, and my brother, Paul Gustinelli, who we call Dr. Zen. Good morning, guys. How are you guys doing today? Spectacular. Good. We've had a good couple of weeks here in Boulder and in Denver. Great weather, and I think we're all enjoying ourselves for the most part, fair to say. Absolutely. Um, I think we've reached the phase in our relationship where we have to explore whether or not I love you guys more than you love me. <laughs> Let's cut to the chase. Uh, well, from the beginning, um, you know, I've kind of, uh, I kind of started saying I love you at the end of it, and you guys uh, were kind of forced into saying uh, that you reciprocating that. And I just, I just wanted to ask, you know, are you, are you saying that you love me because it's too awkward to say otherwise um, and still keep having sex? Or, um, or, you know, not us having sex like that because, you know, that's not been... But at least that was my assumption as we're all hetero. Anyway, so the love thing. The love thing. Dr. Zen, uh, I'm going to let you answer this one first. Uh, you know, really sorry to hear that you're feeling uh, unmet in that. Of course, I love you, Jeff. Thank you. That's I, And I, I wasn't fishing for this at all. I wasn't reaching for it at all. <laughs> I would like to <laughs> also no concur. I'd like to second that emotion, that emotion being love. Jeff, I love you. And I would like to attribute perhaps our slight reticence uh, towards expressing it quite as much to our hearty Yankee stock. We are from the Northeast and people are a little bit more closed in their emotions out there. So that is us. That's who we are. That, I thank you both. Um, I appreciate that. I thought that was going to be funnier than a serious. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll let the audience decide. And they'll vote with, with their finger on the SoundCloud. Uh, stop. Pause. So, so let's, uh, let's revisit how heavy metal has, uh, is continuing to take a shockingly yes. prominent cultural role. Yes. Um, and where whatever the stoners and burners of our youth were listening to in junior and high school is now being uh, blared from speakers at sporting events and the like recently experienced a suspect and relatively unsatisfying version of ACDC's Highway to Hell on the organ mm, at an Avs-Penguins game. It was not written for the organ, if, if I recall, <laughs> I I'm guessing. I, I think that that's fair. <laughs> yeah. uh, Highway to Hell, um, which is a, a, an apt, if unintended, metaphor for the Avs season, <laughs> yes, uh, is true. was not <laughs> executed well by, oh. I think, a very gifted organ player. <laughs> yeah. not, followed up with a truly horrific and terrible danger zone by Kenny Loggins, um, <laughs> who I enjoy. You know, and uh, Loggins and Messina, and uh, mm-hmm. I'm all right from Caddyshack. Oh, you know, and, uh, right, um, he wrote "What a Fool Believes" with Michael McDonald's uh, uh-huh. big Doobie Brothers hit. That's solid uh, '70s era pop. There, not the regrettable "Your Mama Don't Dance." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is yeah. maybe what the organ mm-hmm. player was tapping into, but that was not working. Mm-hmm. So, guys, and again, I'd like to circle back if I could uh, back to the Super Bowl. And Gaga's respectable halftime show performance to ask you to help me unpack and navigate Lady Lady Gaga's hit, Poker Face, okay? Yeah, Mm -hmm. okay, yeah, sure. Because it seems contradictory in a way to me that's confusing, bordering, and untroubling. 
She seems quite adamant that she's not going to allow the him in the song to see her poker face, which suggests a certain calculated coyness and profoundly guarded manner in which she wishes to comport herself. However, throughout much of the rest of the song, she seems quite committed to, well, instead, like, showing her hand as a <laughs> if you see what I did there, yeah. by getting him hot, by indeed showing him what she's got... <laughs> It's one of those. It's like one of those spectacular Russell Brand songs from "Get Him to the Greek" from 2010. Although the Lady Gaga effort predates Jackie Q's "Ring Round" with the classic OK sign imagery by two full years. Mm. And when she posits that she's bluffing with her muffin, I can't help but doubt her veracity, as it seems like this particular wager is relatively forthright and upfront. Any thoughts? Boy, you just have me flashing back to my grad school days, and we talked about the floating signifier. And and James Joyce was actually quoted as saying, I'm going to keep the critics going for centuries with all of the symbolism I randomly threw into my work. <laughs> he actually said that. I think I added randomly. He kind of threw it in. And that's what it sounds like to me. It she, does. She just she's r- messing with She's me. riffing on the trope of the poker face and right. throwing every kind of poker kind of word in there. Um, but maybe she is bluffing. I mean, may, Let me give her a little credit, potentially. Maybe there's actually a logic that her poker face is the bluff. So when she's gonna, when she's pretending to be hot, she's just pretending and she's just manipulating. Him. Wow. I'm gonna staunchly refuse to give her credit for that. I'm afraid <laughs> I have a background in philosophy, and I would like to. There's just syllogistic uh, weaknesses throughout this entire wow. argument, quote unquote, that she's building. Wow. And ergo, she's really not. I think she is just throwing out signifiers, metaphors, images, analogies, and so forth. I do give her credit for the quality of her performance. I must say, I quite enjoyed it. I typically do not like the half. Time shows on the Super Bowls, and I, I kind of like her prancing around and doing that stuff. And, it was super uh, fun. It was enjoyable. Yeah. And Poker Face is a really fun video. Yeah. It's, she's lovely, and and it's super fun. If if maybe confusing to the likes of us. To- totally cool. You know, there's a spot. Uh, there's a Spotify playlist, syllogistically weak hits, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and some of them are, are, are very well, good, good songs. Yeah, good songs. Good songs. I gotta sign up for that. So we have a, a lot of kind of cool topics to cover today. We're going to get just kind of cool. Yeah, well, pretty pretty darn cool. We'll we'll let the listeners be the okay. deciders. Um, we're going to talk about overclocking. We're, we're going to touch on Elon Musk, uh, who we have touched on in the past. We're going to talk about binaural beats, and we are going to do a kind of a new segment uh, called Rapid Response, where we're going to let you guys just riff on a couple of issues from your perspectives. But first things first, overclocking. This is a term that was around, oh, probably 10 years ago, Internet 1.0 era. Um, uh, Overclockers, there was kind of a meme going around that uh, we didn't want the overclockers to take over the world and this sort of stuff. No, overclocking was a valuable thing back there. The people were learning how to get more out of their processing power. Yeah, and I think that that's the 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 way in which it's being understood and discussed in earnest now about this concept of sort of reading and listening faster. And, And there's kind of a question as to, in my mind, and I. Be curious to get your guys' perspective on whether this is a step forward or do we lose something special when we're we're consuming things 
more rapidly. What do you think, Dr. Zen? Oh my God, reading this article on overclocking and looking at this movement, it just makes me sad. Why did I not That does not surprise me coming from Dr. Zen, the guy who sits and stares at a wall for hours at a stretch. Oh my God, the pain that comes out of these people trying to get more knowledge and learning out of their time. I understand acceleration is a feature of our age. And in a way, there's this pressure to keep up with the acceleration, which means more and more learning and more and more knowledge and more and more speed. But always from time immemorial, it's the silences and the spaces, right? Because this overclocking is about removing the internal spaces <laughs> and, and going at, you know, going at one and a half and two times mm-hmm. speed and four and five times speed as you're reading here. So you're, you're trying to attenuate the parts that don't have information that don't meet a kind of signal to noise mm-hmm. threshold mm-hmm. and attenuate those. And, but, but it's always been the silence and the spacious, the lack of information uh, that, is, that is neither signal nor noise, if you will, or at least the gap is itself part of the signal. That has always been the case from time immemorial. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to end with a T.S. Eliot quote that Ariana Huffington brings out in her book Thrive, which I'm quite enjoying. Um, that, 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 that points to this, and I really like it. The endless cycle of idea and action, endless invention, endless experiment, brings knowledge of motion, but not of stillness. Knowledge of speech, but not of silence. Knowledge of words and ignorance of the word. That's capital W for you, doctor. Uh, <laughs> greatest, greatest of all words. Where you. is the life we have lost in living? Where is the wisdom we have lost in knowledge? Where is the knowledge we have lost in information? Oh, I don't have it. <laughs> is that a question? Are you just it telling me? Question. Oh, well, it's, I'll just take my turn. Um... So the Wired Magazine article talks about, um, like, listening to Khan Academy on one dot fill-in-the-blank speed, you know, Mm -hmm. speeding it up. And some people doing 1.5 and Mm -hmm. 2.0, listening quicker. And the studies seem to show that you retain the same amount with a certain amount of overclocking, that you can do that. There is a little bit of, uh, there are some apps or some uh, applications to things that we're listening to where it can like uh, strip out silence between some words and this and that, and that that doesn't seem, you don't seem to lose a lot. Um, But it does seem, even to me, that you're losing something special. Mm. Now, that being said, you know, I listen to a ton of audiobooks and that sort of thing, and I listen to them on 1.25. Oh, wow. Guilty as charged. Just barely, it's it's just barely noticeable. And yet, you know, if you're reading a 20-hour book, it, it's going to speed it up by a quarter, um, which is very helpful. And and I feel that Khan Academy seems to me like the exact sort of thing I should not be listening to faster. You know, if I'm listening to uh, Me Before You, um, I enjoyed, <laughs> you know, speeding through that. It was mm-hmm. fun. It was it was very enjoyable in a lot of ways. So um, last night, uh, I listened to side one of John Coltrane's A Love Supreme on 45. <laughs> oh, and it was, no. it was actually spectacular. Oh. I was going to try it for 78, but I feared uh, I'd burst into flames or go back in time or step yeah. on a butterfly and return in a world where people forgot how to spell. Right. Um, I Brain tried it meltdown. for just a second, and the world reeled under my feet, and the title on the album cover changed to a sound of thunder. <laughs> Trippy. <laughs> just kind of a lead into binaural beat text. Which we'll get to later, yeah, yes, but yeah. this, this could be the cheapest recreational drug known to man. 
can <laughs> if you could just speed up your uh, podcast. So just a final note. It's like I am kind of the overclocking guy in a lot of ways. And, I'm, and I've kind of had to stop, stop. Yeah. I, you know, I'm like when I get in my car, I have the earbud in my ear and I start listening and this and that. I'm just starting to try to be a little quieter and a little mm-hmm. and let the world come to me a little bit more because there is a certain anxiety and there's a certain um, unsettledness that comes from everything being so fast and not being comfortable mm-hmm. with just a beat or a mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. Right. Anyway. Look- can, can, can I ask you, Jeff, as, as I sit here somewhat aghast, I understand the, the the information when you're when you're absorbing some kind of nonfiction book and you want to speed that up. But when it's a performative thing, like me before you being performed by the voice artist there, yes. or of course John Coltrane in Love Supreme, mm-hmm. um, you're 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 changing what it sounds like. You're changing even even the, the person delivering the, the audio book. And don't you think that there's artistry that they've put into establishing the actual tonality of what they're saying? Yeah, I mean, and I think you do some slight injury to that. Mm-hmm. Is it enough for me to be uh, sad or hurt or mourn it? Um, you know, I, like I said, I, I thought it was fun and interesting mm-hmm. to listen to Coltrane at 45, <laughs> which is, it. but, um, but I didn't want to do it for very long. And yeah. I, I think, uh, Mr. Coltrane would not have wanted me to do it for very long either. And, and we're in a privileged position because we, you guys can answer this question from the creation side of the equation, not just the consumption side. You're creating audio content now. Would you prefer that the listeners of this podcast be overclocking it? I have no opinion on it. Yeah. What do you? I, I would say no. Okay. It's our it's our beats and our pauses yeah. that are that are really intrinsic to it. Us being the artists that we are. <laughs> wow. Yeah. wow. But I will give you this: Coltrane's "Love Supreme" on an organ at the hockey game. One point two five. That <laughs> we gotta need to get through that one uh, pretty quickly. Okay, let's move on, guys. <coughs> Elon Musk um, has said recently, as he has said in the in the past, that he believes. Uh, mankind must merge with machines or become irrelevant. He's also on record as saying that the world is a bit of a, or not a bit of, it is a hologram um, and that we live in sort of a virtual land. So th- this is this is a guy whose um, insights I think we all respect and who really thinks deeply about these things and thinks forward forwardly about all these things. I- is Elon Musk right, Jeff? Well, I think he is to some degree in a way that I continually... Uh, express my terror at these sorts of things uh, when we're exploring this. I think that we're experiencing some of it in just like the the technology we have in front of us and the wearables and all of these sorts of things because there are going to be things that give you an advantage. If there was something that was a processor in my brain that allowed me to learn faster, better, I am going to have an advantage and maybe a profound advantage over the have-nots. So, that you know, having a faster laptop or a Fitbit and an Apple Watch where I might be able to be healthier, I might live longer. Um, to me, it's very Gattaca-like mm-hmm. in this idea of haves and have-nots. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm on the side of haves, so it's not terribly terrifying to me because I'm on the leading edge of this sort of thing. Computers give me advantages as an attorney and as a person and as a thinker and as a podcaster um, it, that people who don't, which most of the planet doesn't, already is in some ways becoming irrelevant. And so we talk about this this more, and you were talking about mourning this desire and drive for more, but we are almost, we will, we will have to have machines to get that more, and those machines will have to be merged into ourselves in some meaningful way for us to be able to get something out of that. So I think that he's exactly right. I'm not sure what it means, 
Um, is and, there, uh, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Is, is there a line? Because mer- merge, what it means to merge with machines is very mm-hmm. much an open question. And you, you have a certain comfort level with this and agreement with his idea. But is there a line beyond which you get uncomfortable in terms of what that means? Um, you know, does that mean a, a brain in a bottle or does it mean right. entirely cybernetic or, you know, half a brain is a machine or uh, can the soul be uploaded into, into a machine consciousness? Is there a, a line beyond which it doesn't seem so sanguine to you? Well, I think that the, anything, any intrusion of the mechanical into our bodies is terrifying to me. Mm-hmm. And yet I don't, I'm not bothered by a pacemaker. Mm-hmm. I'm not bothered by these some sorts of things. One of the very fun party games that you can have with your geekiest friends is this kind of an idea between when are you a humor, human and when are you a cyborg oh. and when are you entirely a machine. When do you drink in that game? I, I haven't played that game. <laughs> at every aspect. At every, at every juncture, okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it, to me, any of it is is a point where it creates a tremendous have have not mm-hmm. problem. Yeah, and then it also this irrelevance problem where a lot of smart people are saying, "Listen, there's a very very close tipping point where machines don't don't want us, don't need us, and probably don't like us." <laughs> and, and 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 do we become a part of that? And then at that at that point in time, the only thing that makes us human is perhaps are perhaps things that are supernatural and metaphysical, which may not even exist at all. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Dr. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think, first off, I think it, the whole machine-human merger concern might actually be a red herring. Nice. Yeah, in today's newspaper, you might have seen that it was announced that Germany has banned the Kayla doll, which is a children's toy which allows, which which picks up, uh, it records conversation, and through Bluetooth it can actually send it back up to the satellite. Mm. So the German Federal Network Agency has actually banned it, saying objects that have concealed cameras or microphones <laughs> that can send information endanger the private sphere. The Kayla doll is forbidden in Germany. <laughs> <laughs> so the real concern may, might actually be the machine doll merger, Rah, and not the, the machine, machine human. But let's <laughs> Leave that aside for a second. That's and get another to the, show. It's, it's a whole, I mean, we, we could be toast by tomorrow if Kayla has her web. <laughs> Very scary. I um, I don't think Musk is right. I, 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 don't, I don't think he's looking at the problem in the right way. I share your concerns. I share his concerns. But I, I don't think he's looking at it the right way. And I think he's looking at it in a way that reinforces the problem with the situation. It's the problem of more processing power. We have to keep up with more processing power, with more more of this and more of that. It gets to this hierarchy of data, information, knowledge, and wisdom. T.S. Eliot touched on it in that quote I just said. And that's not about more and more. That's about a higher level of synthesizing the previous level. So information is synthesized and interpreted data. Knowledge is synthesized and interpreted information. And wisdom is synthesized and interpreted knowledge. It's not about more. It's about a different order of, of working with the material at hand. And so you we'd say we have to keep up with the processing power. That's not really it. What I really think is that when you look at the singularity and you look at the growth in something that might even be called sentience in these machines, that we're nevertheless bringing these dimensions of humanity, which is emotion and moral thinking and ethical thinking and altruism and connection, we've got those right in our DNA. That's what we need to bring to the table. We bring those out more and more and we meet this growing and growing processing power and maybe even some level of sentience and self-consciousness on the part of the machines. And that could result in something amazing. But 
we're not going to make the amazing thing by trying to keep up or beat and win. And mm-hmm. actually, that's what Musk talks about it in this way. Mm-hmm. We're going to lose. Otherwise, we got to win this game. It's not mm-hmm. about winning the game. It's about being ourselves to the best we can be mm-hmm. and meeting the best of the machine ah, so we mm-hmm. can bring it all home in the best mm-hmm. way. So they're sort of orthogonal in your mind. We, have, we Our job is to nurture our moral imagination, our creative consciousness, those things that are uniquely human to the extent that they can be supplemented, augmented by technology is sort of a different question. I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing and possibly mangling your tire we'll thesis. We'll go with that. <laughs> okay, we'll go with that. Sure. <laughs> well, uh, excellent. You know, uh, I really wanted to talk about binaural beats next yeah. <laughs> because it's an intriguing notion. I actually don't know much about it, so you guys will have to educate me because you both have more experience with this, but it, apparently this is something discovered in 1839 by a physicist, um, uh, Heinrich Dove, and he discovered this phenomenon where signals of two different frequencies, when they're presented separately, th- there's sort of this uh, phase variation that happens in your brain, and there's a certain effect that it has um, on, on your experience. And um, let's talk about that. Have you guys tried it? Is this something uh, that it was a good experience, bad experience? Would you recommend it? I have tried it. I've really liked it, and I would recommend it. And you know, it's a little bit of a uh, of a point of interest in the meditation community because oh, there's okay. devices, these holosync devices and things that will put the different beats in your ears, and then your brain constructs the gap which you're at the alpha wave level or the theta wave level. And there's a lot of things I've read about why this works or why it doesn't work, and what's actually going on. Experientially, I have found it to be really amazing. Actually, I, I've spent four and a half hours on a recent Saturday <laughs> with headphones on wow. doing really concentrated work. Holy cow. And whether it was it was just distracting, uh, it was occupying cycles that might otherwise have been distracted or whether it was actually creating a sync that created a higher capability, I don't know. And same question, sorry, at what point do you do the drinks, the shots during this process? <laughs> Is that... You don't need it. It's you don't, really I'm super sorry. relaxing. I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah, it's really good. And you know, I, I meditate every day mm-hmm. and I found this, so I, I was wondering whether this would, I'd even feel it. Mm-hmm. And I would say there, there's uh, there's something going on there, even at a physical level, in the way my heart was beating and the way my whole body rhythms started to get into some kind of sync that I really grooved to. What about you, Jeff? So... Who I challenge you on God's green earth is cooler, trippier, and zenier than Paul Augustinelli, a.k.a. Dr. Zen. Just when I try and top the -the over-the-top cool of Dr. Z, he smashes an express bus of oral illusion and neurophysiology traveling at breakneck speed on Fringe Science Avenue into a cargo van full of non-ordinary states of consciousness and brainwave entrainment speeding on mainstream view street with me smack in the middle of the intersection sitting on a bicycle cart full of frozen bomb pops carrying a well-worn yet unread copy of Siddhartha. I listened to the binaural beat tech samples on Wikipedia while simultaneously and accidentally even listening to Prayer for Rain by the Polish ambassador and I briefly but clearly glimpsed Nicholas Copernicus making out with Marie Curie to the right of my peripheral vision. I'm a believer. Seriously. I listened to nine minutes of BBT on Wikipedia and was a bit unnerved and fascinated at what was the now thrumming world around me and what it sounded like when I was finished. What is going on here, Dr. Z? It's like 
<laughs> is it like uh, my profound idea is that it's like putting your two fingers in front of your eyes so that it creates a little floating sausage finger thing in the middle. Is that it? I tapped into what it is. <laughs> How profound is it? I, I, I'm speechless. I can't. I'm a believer. It, I, you, you do believe, but you ask a very good question, which is how sort of real, deep, and profound is this experience? It's real. It exists. It may be relaxing. Is it? Is it What's the, there? What is there? Is there a there there? Is the we'll there bigger than a bread box? I think this... We're going to have to revisit this topic. That's right. <laughs> Nicholas Copernicus is making out Marie Curie. I mean, how, how much better can it get? That's worth the price of admission. Exactly. I am going to go try this stuff. I've, I'm going to go try it. I don't know about four hours. It might just be ten minutes. So I mean. Well, thanks for that. Okay, we've got a rapid response round, and we're going to hit uh, Jeff up first. And I would like you to know, we're just going to go back and forth on these three topics in turn. Give me, from your perspective, which in our shorthand is from Jesus' perspective or Buddha's perspective, the most significant events or trends occurring today um, in three different spheres. Politics, culture and media, and spirituality and faith. Jeff? So uh, politics, um, we've talked a little bit about um, borders and immigration and that sort of thing. And uh, I'm a firm believer that uh, you do need to be careful with your borders. And we do, do we do need to be mindful about folks that are coming in to your country, both from health concerns and that sort of thing, but also dangerous concerns. On the other hand, uh, Jesus would probably be just letting everybody in. Mm-hmm. And that's a bit of a crisis, I think, mm-hmm. for a lot of folks um, on the right and, uh-huh. and uh, in Christians, thoughtful Christians everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but it certainly seems to me like... Uh, um, uh, Jesus would probably err on the side of uh, trying to be very uh, charitable and hospitable. So right. that's my thought on that. Right. What do you think on politics? Well, I'll try to be quick and I'll try to be light. Um, I think in the political sphere, so in, in the Buddhist world, what we call the three poisons, which are the part of, I've already started being not light. I'm going to try to make it. <laughs> wow. The three poisons poison are, are greed, anger, and ignorance. And all of us have this and humanity possesses it. And I think that in our political sphere right now, we have an, a special emergence and excrescence of these poisons of greed, anger, and ignorance. Arguably, they have been around all the time, sure. particularly permeating our political and media and media world. I think they are, and I think many would agree that they are at high boil right now, and they've become much more visible and much more contentious. And this is a good thing, I would say, to actually have them come out. We can see them and we can address them because they're poisonous to our body politic, and we can bring some medicine to them. That was great. That was just cotton candy. That was really white. <laughs> that was, was good. Good. excellent. Thank you, Doctor. Uh, culture and media. Yes. Um, so uh, I think that um, it most particularly important for us to explore today is what would Jesus drink in this handcrafted cocktail culture we are in? <laughs> nice. I wanted to spend a little time on that. The yeah. Bible seems to be pretty clear that drink good, drunkenness bad, which feels about right. Feels doesn't about right. It? Sure. Uh, my take is that only the Nazarites are prohibited from drinking. Sucks for them. <laughs> but everybody else. Everybody else okay. gets to do it. Uh, but I'm certain that Jesus um, uh, out on the evening with uh, tax collectors and Republicans would order a Nazareth sunrise, which is one-third blood orange Italian uh, soda splashed over two-thirds Prosecco. Um, with maybe a basil sprig oh, or a boy. mint sprig if he wants to get crazy. Lovely. And if it's hot out, he'd throw in an ice cube. <laughs> Fantastic. Wow. You know, if it weren't 10 in the morning, I think I'd be having one of those right now. It sounds delightful. It is. I'm, I'm telling you. Fantastic. <laughs> it's not theoretical. <laughs> 
Um, I'm going to go with an obvious one, which is the, the internet and the interconnectedness of our cultural world and our global community, if you will. There's a classic Buddhist uh, image archetype uh, called Indra's net, where it's that everything mm. in the world is connected to each other. And at every node of this web or net is a diamond, which refracts every other node or nexus in the web. So it shows us that everything is included in everything else. Everything is connected to everything else. And I think we're, we're seeing this come out more and more uh, in, a, in a more overt way with our interconnectivity through mm-hmm. the internet, through social media mm-hmm. and through, um, and through our drinking habits. Yes. Yeah. May, may we all be connected to Nazarene cocktails. Uh, so finally, spirituality and faith, which is kind of just right in the wheelhouse. So go ahead and hit it over the wall. You know, I think that um, at this point in time, we would be, uh, I would want to be exploring a little bit of, um, there's a time we're talking a lot and people are talking past each other and that sort of thing. And, um, and you guys have been unfortunately exposed to a book I've been writing forever that was like uh, 30 Days Without Christ, or we talked about it years ago and that sort of thing. It's the idea that... Um, you, uh, you would stop talking about spirituality or faith. You would just only, every time you had that uh, instinct, you would instead do something or think or pray or that sort of thing. So there'd be no talking, there'd be no lectures, there'd be no proselytizing. You would just spend your time uh, Christing as a verb or, or, or uh, Buddha-ing as a verb. You would do those things. And that it just seems to me that that would be transformative. In many ways, it'd be transformative, hopefully, of you. You'd be more charitable and thoughtful and perhaps less prone to anger and that sort of thing. And, and then you might also uh, affect some change in the environment. Um, that's a little self-serving for me to do that, but I, I think that uh, I think Jesus would give that one a thumbs up. All right. May, may, may we get uh, more people Christing and Buddhaing uh, in the love weeks it. and months ahead. Fantastic. Really love it. Want to see the book? Really? Yeah. 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 Um, very similarly, I think there's a, uh, what has kind of uh, attracted my attention in, in the world as such in terms of spirituality and faith, not from a Buddhist perspective, but from a more general pr- perspective, is this whole rise of the SBNRs or the nuns, as they're called, in the millennial and younger generations. So the SBNRs are spiritual but not religious, is oh, what that right. stands for, okay. and the nun right. should be. So in a lot of polls and social studies, uh, they're, you know, kids and younger people are, are identifying themselves in this way. Mm. And I think that that's a, that's a very interesting movement, I think, to uh, find a, I think, speaking to exactly what you were just talking about, which is spiritual values and a lived way of being without necessarily... Uh, adherence to any particular dogma or institutional beliefs or creeds that have been passed down. And that's that's just very interesting. You know, th- there's weaknesses and pluses and where that's going to go, who knows, mm-hmm. but uh, definitely alive. Great. Fantastic. Good, good, good round there. Thanks a lot, guys. I don't think it'd be proper to end the show without some observations from Jeff, and I personally don't think it'd be proper to end the show without some reference to boogers and farts. So. Let's, let's do that. So, you know I like to provide an option to the smartening up <clears throat> that you two do to the program. In that light, I am starting a periodic feature where I explore uh, boogers and farts and other topics of particular comfort and experience of mind and expertise, I'd like to add. Thank you. Uh, Jail, uh, Jeffrey Lawrence Whedon's uh, Booger and Fart Corner. Um, Nothing about it this week, uh, just under construction, (laughs) coming soon. So get jazzed. Okay, 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 good. Why am I not writing for Saturday Night Live? Um, As kind of a diversity hire, 
you know, gag yeah, okay. hire. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got to be having some uh, skits on Nancy Pelosi, mm-hmm. um, that sort of thing. I'm the guy to write so, those skits. Okay, I was going to say, political diversity. You're, you're Very not, much so. Yeah, yeah, well, and then hopefully better. intellectual diversity. Okay. Um, and uh, and, and, uh, and <laughs> so sort of a, a, a ideological diversity. Yeah, indeed. Which, indeed. Uh, yes. you know, we have a, mm-hmm. a media yeah. that uh, and a, an academia mm-hmm. in, in a lot of ways um, uh, and uh, entertainment and, and those sorts of things which are missing a critical and important voices. Like well, that. here is the official call out to Lauren Michaels and his minions. If you're listening to this podcast, we have a ready and willing recruit. And finally, gentlemen, biomuck in public places. Uh, railings are a particularly uh, gross place to experience this. Um, I ran, I, I was uh, attending a University of Denver hockey game uh, against um, uh, Colorado College, a local rival, uh, two yep. giants, mm-hmm. uh, at least past giants in, in, uh, in uh, NCAA hockey. And um, I was uh, getting ready to go down and uh, grab myself a jersey and a beer and a brat. And just in that reverie, getting ready to go down, and we just had a successful period, and I'm happy. And instead, I run my hand down a mildly moist and sticky <laughs> handrail oh, while preparing to grab that lava-hot jumbo dog uh, when watching number one-ranked uh, University of Denver uh, crush uh, poor Colorado College. What is the finest example or worst example of biomuck you can identify? <laughs> <laughs> Anything? <laughs> the, this this is where the the ad hoc nature of this podcast. Falls down. We, we don't do a lot of preparation, right. uh, and we uh, do not we challenge each other on the spur of the moment for questions like I this. I want you to come back and revisit. Necessitates a certain amount of extenuation of the time that we are given no one to wants come that. up with an answer right. by slowing right. down our talking. Why is he doing so that? So the other guy can come up. <laughs> oh, I got it. Oh, Dr. Z, what do you got? I know what you're doing. So one day about 15 years ago, <laughs> I, uh, I spilled something on a jacket that I had in the trunk of my car, <laughs> and I didn't need my trunk very much, so I actually didn't open it for about three years, literally. <laughs> wow. And when I did, there had been such an organic decay oh, in there, my. and I did it after a soccer game when all my teammates were gathered oh, around the car. Disgusting and embarrassing. And, and this disgusting, we had to pick it out with a stick and then throw it down <laughs> and I was I was scorned and reviled for this you know not least because that I hadn't opened my trunk in three years <laughs> as that I had this thing in it um, these th- these things happen <laughs> good enough well I, d- I really don't have a real pithy one but being a daily dog walker and being attentive try to be with the poop that comes out of the back into my guy uh, you're always conscious of the stuff that people don't pick up that yes. they leave around and it's something of a do you pick it up I always pick I it up I do too of course yes it's but, awful you know I mean to me that's kind of the most obvious and in my face uh, example gotcha. of, of bio material in public places gotcha. and it speaks to sort of uh, I don't know what it speaks to Pe- people who are less conscientious than we apparently I hear you yeah. I hear you and I think once again, poop is a perfectly legitimate closing topic That's beautiful. for the for the podcast. We are done for the week. Thank you guys so much. Love you guys. Jeff, I, I love you, Jeff. I was going to try to say it before you said <laughs> oh, it. Oh, no. All right. Yeah. Well. That's good. Well, you know what? I get to edit this thing. I'm going to go back and take <laughs> yours away. You can, Jeff, I love you, man. Do you have anything to say to me? I love you, Ray. Oh, okay. Love you guys. Love you, Paul. Bye, everybody. See you next week.